Station. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to They Might Be Right, the boisterous brother of call to action that breaks up bundles in the pithy playground of Twitter. In honour of Bill Birnbach's famed pocket card and from where these specials take their title, we invite our challengers into the octagon of debate and welcome the opinions of others. Others who might be right. It's like Royal Rumble, with the single but vital exception that there's fewer flamboyant flying elbows, unless it really kicks off. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards, host and referee. Today I'm with Lee Grinnell, the top marketing director whose tweets sparked all this off. Lee is obsessed with applying the latest thinking from marketing leaders like Bennett, Field and Sharp to professional services. Next in the ring, hailing from Cape Town, South Africa, is Gillian Wrightford. Creativity champion and industry agony aunt, Gillian is founder of Ad Therapy, a management, skills development and communication consultancy. And our final challenger, ex-Adland, CFO and COO, is Tom Lewis, a commercial performance improvement advisor to businesses. Tom now cuts his teeth in law and private equity. Welcome to you all. Thank you, Charles. Good to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Charles. Uh, a quick reminder of today's motion, client side or agency side, a proper marketer could do both. It's time for the challengers to land some early telling blows with their short opening statements. They'll be delivered one by one and uncontested. Any low blow interruptions will result in a points deduction. The floor is yours, Lee. I think absolutely a proper proper marketer can be successful client side and agency side. I think that's principally because ultimately good marketing is good marketing wherever you do it. But I think also on both sides, people think that there's a level of bureaucracy and challenges that exist that you don't understand unless you're in that particular field. But I think actually, you know, things like stakeholder management, selling in ideas, getting buy-in to do things differently, you know, dealing with all kinds of different bureaucracy, they exist both client side and agency side. So you're so you I think you have the skills to deal with that. But I do think the clue might be in the title of the motion that a proper marketer can thrive on both sides. Can a poor marketer? I'm not so sure. Great, thank you. Uh, moving on to you, Gillian. Okay, so my opening statement is based on the fact that people often ask whether, whether marketing is art or science. And I usually reply that it is a combination of both. But I do think that there is a tendency for people who work on the marketing side of the, of the fence uh, to be more science than art and people who work on the advertising side of the fence to be possibly more art than science. So I think that, um, you know, there's the left brain and the right brain and the whole brain thing. And I, I think that it's more than just a an ability, but I think it also goes to a personality type. And I know Lee spoke about, um, you know, stakeholder management and building consensus, but I think that people that tend to work in advertising tend to be 
a lot more collaborative and and are able to work across cross-functional teams quite easily whereas i find uh some people on the marketing side tend to be more decisive and want more control perfect thank you uh, and last but not least tom what's your position on this so so my my background is i'm i'm not a marketer and i i wouldn't i wouldn't sort of judge what what marketers can and can't do i'd, I'd come at the angle of well, where are you more likely to succeed and, and where are you likely to find an environment that that suits you and my experience from from 20 years of, of being in Adland is that Adland is a really tough place for anyone to be. And the reasons for that, I, I, I say on a regular basis, that Adland's commerciality is terrible. As a result of that, it has low margins. And therefore, the work-life balance in most places is, is dire. So I'd question why anyone would go and want to work in Adland um, because I think it's a terrible place to be. I think it's incredibly long hours, incredibly hard work with very little career progression for poor pay. So if you're a good marketer, you, you want to be in a silo that's vibrant in a sector of the industry that's vibrant and where, where there's growth. Uh, and all the data I saw from when I worked at the IPA is that the Adland is not that sector and you should avoid it as far as possible. Perfect. I do hate a fence sitter. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what I really think <laughs> that's wonderful uh, right so now is the time for the main event I'm going to set our 20 minute timer it's a no, hold, no holds barred slugfest of proper debate and I'm going to leave you to discuss this as you see fit oh, let's get ready to rumble shall I I'll, I'll happily jump in and, and start because I think Tom picked up on two kind of really interesting points actually that that sort of caught my attention when I kind of asked this initial question on Twitter which I think are kind of interestingly contradictory if that makes sense that idea that suddenly the perception that I have on the on the outside as an in-house marketer principally about the good things of of going agency side are you know, being, you know, surrounded by people who are interested in ideas, you know, value, creativity, that sense of kind of vibrancy and energy and being amongst like-minded people seems really, really attractive to me. And maybe that's kind of a personality type point, as, as Gillian mentioned, as much as it is a skills point. But when when people sort of replied to my to my question, lots of the reasons that people gave to not do that, to not flip from client side to agency side, were all about the agency operating model. And that idea of actually, you know, don't do it, it's it's inefficient. If you're over 35, you're seen as expensive. It's the long hours. It's the, you know, lower pay, growth potential, all of those sorts of things. And that sort of seemed to me quite bizarre of, a, of an agent, of a, of a world that should depend on creativity and free, think, free thinking and innovation, yet is utterly stifled by the operating model. And it seems as if it's kind of almost created a system and it's now enslaved to that system, which actually seems like it would completely hinder what an agency is supposed to do. And it seems almost a, a slightly sort of weird, complex, I thought, um, yeah, so that, that kind of sounded familiar to your points, Tom, I think, there. So are you, are you making the point, Lee, that 
in a way that the fun things or the things that really excite you about the possibility of going into ad land, they're being squeezed out by a lack of commerciality. So there's there's a sort of a period where they're there now and, and increasingly ad agencies are going to, in, in the pursuit of efficiency over effectiveness, they're going to lose all the things that you you, you would look for if you were to, to make that um make that jump I, I i agree i think that that's my experience of, of where i've been out of the industry for a couple of years now um but all the comments i had from people is is that's that's where the industry is going it's a lot less fun and interesting and and stimulating than it used to be and, and the only exceptions are you know the small independents who can who can afford to take some risk afford to charge uh higher prices walk away from bad business and they're the ones who are you know, at best, thriving. They're the they're the fun places to go. But being small businesses, they're high risk. Um, the large ones are probably a little bit safer, um, but but probably duller. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I I, I think what's an interesting point it, though is that for someone like you, Lee, going into an agency, you would have a degree of confidence and a, deg- a degree of um, the ability to speak up and try and find the best way of operating for the agency and the client. I think a large part of the problem, and exactly to Tom's point, is is that the clients have driven um, retainers down, fees down, they're driving um, quicker turnaround. Um, I, mean, I mean, there was a, a report published recently by the WFA, which actually showed a massive skills crisis in the industry marketing and on the agency side. And one of the big issues was that people don't want to work in those environments and they don't want to put up with abusive client client agency relationships. But very often they're too nervous to say anything about it. So they allow this, this environment to be forced on them. And of course they all crash and burn. To, to Tom's point, but I think someone who goes in with um, the experience of working on the marketing side and can actually stand up for what's right, and that's why the independents are able to do it, because they they are owner-managed, they have a lot at stake, and they're not some giant corporation just at the whim of the client, and I think the clients have got a lot to answer for. Yeah, and I, I wonder if, in a way, I'm, I'm a really bad example to use, not for reasons of being a horrible person, I hope, but having kind of been a, been a marketing director and actively stepped out and said, I want to spend some time consulting, which I say principally was me working on my own, but often with a, a small kind of group of people around me. Having seen almost both sides of the fence, and I think this is almost one of the things that I think is a really good reason to have more people flipping from agency to client that slight degree of empathy that you can get of actually when I was, and I'm not talking about me now, but when I was agency side, I know the things that were really frustrating that clients did and that I I perceived hindered good work. Therefore, okay, I'm not going to do those things and equally vice versa when you're agency side, if you can think, okay, having been in-house, I know what some of the challenges are people have with sign off or whatever it might be and that degree of empathy actually helps both both parties i think in terms of having a much more um sort of productive and fruitful working relationship i think i think it's a good observation lee i think 
in my world, lack of commercial skills underpins everything. So I, I think what you're talking about is, is absolutely right. It helps, but it, it's a sort of necessary but not sufficient condition. Um, and, and, and I'd also pick up Gillian's point about all well, clients have, have you know, driven, driven agencies into the ground. Let, let's have a little bit of locus of control here. Agencies have allowed themselves to be driven into the ground because they have not developed their selling ability at the same rate that clients have developed their buying ability. Now, that has led to dysfunctional results, um, but it's not for agencies to lay those at the floor of clients. It's for agencies to address those and to become better at professional selling so that then you've got the funds to, to, to pay for the solutions. So as I've said in an article I've written, it's not so much finding the solutions as funding them. We know what the answers are, and, and you're both right in terms of where, where the answers are, but that, that's not the challenge. The, the thing that underpins all of this is a lack of agency commerciality and, and therefore having the margins to invest in training, in development, in walking away from suboptimal clients, in not hiring mediocre people all of those things that underpins everything so so i think you're right lee you you would bring a lot to an agency and and some of the best marketers that i heard speak at the ipa um, had worked on both sides and and therefore knew what life was like agency side what it was like client side and therefore could navigate the client and get the best out of the agency you know they happen to be just very smart very good people who'd worked you know a couple of years older older than all of us who worked in a slightly more golden age of, of, of advertising and, and could afford to do that. But that under, underpinning it all is, is a lack of commerciality. And, that, and that's my concern for anyone, you know, with any grey hairs looking to go into Adland. So I, I just think it's an, in, I mean, you're absolutely 100% right. But if we accept that, that this is something that agency people are not good at, what is, it, what is the advantage to the client of squeezing them? too far because I often in my training that I do to marketers I, I speak about the creative tap and I talk about the fact that what you want is the creative tap open fully on your business you want the best people in the agency can't wait for your next brief they want to think about it you know day and night and give you their best over time if you grind them down on costs because you can, um, or you grind them down with ridiculous timelines or whatever it is, the tap just closes and you get poor quality in response. So it's like it's like it's like bartering and and bargaining for a something that you buy, and you're actually forcing the quality down of the thing that you're buying. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree. And it, the system is dysfunctional is, is my conclusion. And I, I worked at the IPA looking at, well, how, how do you set it in, into reverse? And, and the way you, you do it is, you know, if you've still got some margins, the, the agencies will upskill, make higher margins on, on the back of their skills and, and, and reinvest that in the business. I think Adland doesn't have the money now to do it. It's, 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 it was threadbare years ago. It's, it's, it's less than threadbare now. Why are the clients doing it? It's it, it's something of a moot point. It, it kind of does, you know it's a bit like being in a boxing ring. And why is that guy hitting me? It doesn't really matter why why they're they're doing it. But I, I think if you you know for a bit of context, it, it's the sort of it's the rise of short termist hard metrics. Price is a really easy um, 
you know, cost is something that's very easy to measure. And therefore, if you're trying to, you know, chief financial officers, procurement directors are all about driving down cost in the mistaken belief that because they can't measure creativity, it doesn't exist. And therefore, all of these cost decisions are consequence free. Uh, and that's probably, and it's an interesting discussion for, for someone like you, Lee, if you were to go client side, you know, you'd need to be making the case for why I want to pay my agency more, why I want to give them a bonus, why I want to pay them promptly. And you'd be having to go into battle with your CFO and your procurement department to say, I don't want to call a pitch. You know, I want a long-term relationship. All of these things that we know bring brilliant, transformative, um, profitable, creative work. So why is it happening? I guess the marketing community is just not making the case uh, to client management as to why things should be done differently to get the best out of their their creative suppliers. We interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pod's host, Giles, at gasp.agency. Only last week, some pod-listing companies did just that, calling for guidance on research and brand positioning. But we're definitely not asking you to do that. Anyway, back to the show. Oh, God. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Whoops. Yeah, I'll have what she's having. Yeah, hang on a minute. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, actually. Here we go. For my thoughts on your on your question, Gillian, I think the the points that Tom makes about the lack of, of commercial nails agency side, I think the lack of commercial nails client side within the marketing team's client side is also to blame because you know think think if I you know thinking in a, in a fairly sort of narrow Marcoms campaigns type way, if you don't know, okay, what am I potentially looking at? profit generation from this particular campaign what's the size of the opportunity here all of those good metrics and ability to measure the effectiveness of it suddenly you're able to say actually it's going to cost us whatever it might be fifty thousand pounds on this particular campaign but that ability to talk to your cfo ceo whoever it is about the potential opportunity here is whatever five hundred thousand pounds a million pounds suddenly that case is is can get made in a way that the the more financially minded, if that's the right phrase, people in, in the business understand, which then makes it easier to have that conversation sort of agency side. So I think that lack of commercial uh, capability is is probably prevalent on both sides of the both sides of the fence. And I, and I and I think kind of and again this is where you kind of think actually, you know, a, could a proper marketer with good skills, you know, survive and thrive in both, both, um, both camps. That's where I think there's there's real value in people being able to switch. Again, if you've got some of those commercial skills, you can share them, on you know, with 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 client side, with agency side, and start to kind of improve some of those frustrations that I think exist on exist on both on both parts. So I think from from the client side, they'd probably very the marketing person, marketing director, marketing manager would probably very happily pay the agencies more. They're getting driven down on the cost by their CFO who's trying to squeeze budgets and they don't 
they're not commercially savvy enough to be able to put the argument together to to push back on that, I think. There's a bit of, sorry, if I can just jump in, there's a bit of follow the money there, Lee, I think. It, ultimately, you, you, you follow it all the way through to the investors. If your investors don't understand how marketing works, how brands are built, how you invest, and the kinds of timescales needed, then the questions they will be asking of the chief exec will be about cost management. And therefore, however good you are as a marketing director, you're, you're trying to push water uphill. So, you know, a bit of, bit of career advice for what it's worth is if, if you want to go to a, an organization that, under, that builds brands and knows how they're done, look at, have you got a chief exec who knows how to do it? And is the chief exec answering to investors who know how to do it? Because then it, then you're ultimately agencies are at the bottom of that, that sort of food chain and, and the investors are at the top. And, and there's no way you can change the top. You, know, you, you can only go to an environment where it's going to suit what, what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think also what's quite interesting about what you were saying, Lee, is that the, I was reading James Herman and Peter Field's creative ladder again the other day, and he was speaking about the commitment index, you know, the, the how much money you're going to put behind a particular campaign and the, the fact that, that budget and duration and all of those things have an impact on the effectiveness. I think what someone with your skills and better commercialization or better commercial understanding could do is actually make the briefs better. And make sure that that the at that interface between client and agency, that the brief is actually set up to deliver the right results against the objectives. Because I think that's a key point where it all goes horribly wrong. And to Tom's point, the agencies and maybe client service or comp management don't have the right um, commercial lens to look through those briefs and say, are we can we actually realistically achieve these objectives and if you push back at that point everything would probably be a lot more uh deliverable uh or effective i i would pick up on that i think i think a weak brief is a, is a consultative selling opportunity yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, mean, I i so so ra- again rather than sort of you know expect a, a good brief from the client if, if you're pre- if you're presented with a weak brief that's an opportunity to go in and have a much higher level conversation about what you know, pull that apart, interrogate it, and actually do something more diagnostic, and and that should be a that could, in an ideal world that should be part of the reason why clients stick with agencies. I mean, an analogous situation for me was I used to work with a um, a partner from Slaughter and May, and I would phone him up and say, oh, you know, we got this sort of issue, and and what he would do, he would play back and say, you've told me this, I I think your issue is this, is that the problem you want me to go away and fix? <laughs> you know, I say, yeah, yeah, you're right. You, you've you've phrased it exactly right, uh, and he would go away and address the issue. And I, I, t- I never queried his bills because I knew I could just pick up the phone to him, and he would quickly and efficiently identify the real problem that I had, understand what I needed to get out of the business, and he would fix it. And at that point, you just don't question the the hourly rate because you know. His, his problem he got business results for me and that was exactly what I needed and, and I was very loyal to him as a, as a, as a client one of the uh, I think one of the interesting things and the, the only sort of pause for thought I I would have about someone flipping from client side to agency side this is going off in a completely different tangent to what we were talking about before is this sort of tension between the generalist and the specialist 
when you when you're an in-house marketer you are you are by definition a, a generalist um, you may well have teams that, that specialize in particular areas what are the opportunities in an agency for the generalist versus the specialist and obviously this will depend slightly on the sort of agency that you're you're, you're talking about you know is it the, the classic planner strategist is that where a generalist would would go but also flipping the other way if you've spent your life in quite a specialist role agency side to then go into a more generalist role client side how do you build up those skills uh, and I, I don't know what the answer to that is that see that does seem to be a bit of a, a potential challenge I think I think that's an interesting point. I mean, I think that you know, certainly some of the some of the the say creative or production or whatever, those are very specialist skills. But what I actually have always loved about the advertising side is that you are exposed at a strategic level, even a client service level, to so many different industries. And so on one day you're working with tractors and the next day you're working with chocolates and, the, the, you know, that afternoon you're working with a beer. And so you're able to flit between categories. And, and it, I, I always personally found that incredibly rewarding. So there was that generalist space of the categories you play in rather than what you do, I suppose. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah, and I can see again for the person with the right personality, that sense of variety and the different stimuli would be, you know, massively rewarding and, uh, and, and kind of fulfilling, definitely. I, I once spoke to a colleague at, at, at the IPA who explained this, and, and I, it, it made a lot of sense to me, and it, it's, it's similar to what Gillian's saying. She talked about the T-shape thing, that the, the, the client side, you have absolute depth of knowledge of the product, so it's the sort of the, the vertical of the t- agency side. You have the breadth of the market. And, and to your point, Julian, lots of different client experience. And so you know, I guess the magic happens at that sort of intersection of, of the depth of, of client side knowledge when it meets the breadth of, of agency knowledge. And that those are probably the different skills that you would you would have to acquire or the different knowledge you, you'd need to gain um, to leverage your skills um, in that environment. I'm afraid that's it. Back to your corners, please. No punches after the bell has gone, Gillian. <laughs> Everyone got on alarmingly well there. That was fantastic. I think there's some incredible points made on everybody's side. I've been scribbling away like a lunatic. So um, everything from the cost decisions are seen as being free of creative consequences. I think it's a great point, Tom, and that the, the point you're making on commercial capability uh, Lee adding that that's actually can be an issue both sides. Gillian making the briefs, the interface is basically better, I think, is a, is a great point, which in turn, Tom suggests, is actually an opportunity in itself for the agency. Um, I, I'm hoping that we have explored some grey area and everyone's opinion has been uh, at least shunted temporarily. Um, and I'm going to give everybody the chance to make a, uh, a closing statement Um, I don't expect anyone to land a knockout blow uh, and we will go to a judge's decision, which in this case will be the listeners will have a little poll. Of course, everybody, everybody is a winner in this instance, but I'm going to give you any opportunity to just flag any highlight points that you might want to make. So first up, uh, hit us with it. Tom, we'll come to you. Finish them. My experience of talking to marketers is, is the really good ones 
know what works and what doesn't and are able to talk in the language of the boardroom. So they're able to talk about data, numbers, successes, business outcomes. Uh, And those people I found are always very successful. So the two bits of advice I would give to anyone looking to be, you know, either way is get some good commercial skills, learn the language of the boardroom, learn to talk about business outcomes. Fantastic. Gillian, anything to add? So I think that there's there's been a lot of um, research that's published and more and more that creativity is 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 effective and it's financially effective. And my point to marketers is if you're not making good creative work, then you're actually not doing a fundamental part of your job effectively. And I would say that there is a need for, for those skills to be improved. So as much as agencies need commercializations, I think marketers need to understand the value of creativity as an effectiveness tool and understand that they are an ecosystem with the agency, not against the agency. It shouldn't be agency versus client or client versus agency. It's an ecosystem that delivers effectiveness. Perfect. Well said. Um, And Lee, given you started this off, um, I'll give you the opportunity for a final flourish, if I may. I I will do my best to flourish appropriately for a podcast environment. Yeah, I I think... Was going back to the original question, can a, can a good marketer work agency and client side? Yes, I think they can. I think, I think it would be good for marketers to do both. But I also think it would be good for clients and good for agencies for, for a couple of reasons. And I think this, this goes, and I think both client side and agency side are guilty of often only wanting to recruit people that on the client side have worked in the same industry. You know, so if you want to be a marketer in financial services, most job descriptions will say must have financial services experience. If you want to, you know, work in an agency, typically you need to have agency experience. I think for for clients that's I think that's really limiting in terms of the ideas that people can bring and, and the different experiences that people have and perspectives. But I think it's even more damaging on the agency side, because if you've, you've got an industry that is all about sharing different perspectives about creativity, about the importance of creativity so much, um, of innovation, of new ideas, only recruiting people from this exactly the same sort of background with the same sort of industry experience seems to me to go completely counter to that. So I think, can a good marketer do it? Absolutely. Is it good for the marketer? Absolutely. Is it good for the client? Yes. Is it good for the agency? 100%. Thank you. Uh, Well, our listeners can vote for a winner or a draw via a poll link on this episode's show notes. We will announce and raise the gloves of the winner in a week on our socials. The show notes will also have our challengers' social media handles and more material that they have all independently published for you to read and to follow. Uh, you'll find a link to the original Twitter spat, if I can use that word that kicked this off. So uh, feel free to bundle in on that. Um, and finally, thank you to everybody for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it and review the pod. If you spot any tasty Twitter spats that could be settled on the show, let us know by either finding Gasp online, checking out CTA pod on Instagram or emailing hello at calltoaction.co. Oh,
try, and I try, and I try, and I try. Yeah!